This is KaneCast episode 60, a review of our small cap quality value portfolio in the second quarter of 2018. Hello, this is Jordan Greenhouse, Client Portfolio Manager with Kane Anderson Rodnick. And this is Craig Stone, Co-Portfolio Manager of the Small Cap Quality Value Portfolio. Craig, what I'd like to review is the Q2 2018 Small Cap Value Portfolio. If you could provide us with an overview of the overall strategy, in addition to some of the key contributors as well as the detractors during the quarter. Sure, Jordan. So during the quarter, um, we underperformed relative to the benchmark, and there was a couple of stocks in our portfolio in particular that led to the lower contribution that we've had in the quarter. Um, We run a fairly concentrated portfolio of roughly 30 stocks. So during any short period of time, like in a quarter, where two or three of our companies um, report disappointing earnings or have company-specific news that come out that leads to the decline of the stock price, um, that can lead lead us to uh, have underperformance in a period. I would also say that during the second quarter, we also saw a reversal of what we saw last year in that we've had particular quality headwinds um, that did not help us in terms of our uh, relative performance. What I mean by that is that if you look at last year, in 2017, companies in the benchmark that had high returns on capital significantly outperformed companies with negative returns on capital, negative ROEs, meaning that these companies were unprofitable. Those unprofitable companies um, had negative returns. But fast forward to this year, particularly starting the second quarter, what we saw was a reversal of that in that high returns on capital businesses actually had negative performance versus negative ROE companies that have positive performance. So a, a direct reversal of that. But having said that, at the end of the day, Stock selection is going to drive our return either on the upside or the downside relative to the benchmark um, because we are really buying the high quality businesses that, that we want to own for the long term. And like, like I said, if two or three stocks in the quarter in a short period of time does not do well for us, um, we will underperform. Conversely, if two or three stocks um, that does well for us, um, as we've had in other periods, um, we can outperform significantly as well. So let's talk about the couple of stocks on the top contributor first list first for the quarter, and then I'll get into the two stocks in particular that ended up um, uh, hurting us the most in the the quarter in terms of underperformance. The two stocks that really helped us in the quarter um, was MGP uh, or MGM Growth Properties. Uh, This is a company that is a real estate investment trust that owns the underlying properties for the MGM Grand Uh, most of the properties in Las Vegas on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, It's a very unique structure and it's a a very good business and this is a new holding for ours that we've had uh, since the middle of last year. The other top contributor is National Beverage, um, which is really the owner of the brand LaCroix Sparkling Water. Uh, This is a a fast-growing business that um, has taken LaCroix brand um, to the number one market share position in the U.S. today, and we expect that this company will continue to do well as the the health conscious uh, or the switching from carbonated soft drinks into healthier alternatives is directly benefiting LaCroix. Now on the other side, the two stocks that have hurt us the most in the quarter, um, first we have HFF uh, under ticker symbol HF. This is a business that is a transaction volume um, advisory business that helps real estate investment trusts, pension funds, 
um, sovereign wealth funds, anybody who is invested in the real estate asset class, um, help them with um, discovery of price, uh, debt placements, um, and other issues related to transactions. Um, what's unique about HF and unlike their competitor is that HF does not have um, internal management of properties, um, does not have a portfolio of their own properties, and so therefore there's no conflict of interest with their with their clients. Uh, and like I said, unlike their competitors who have um, sometimes internal management or, or portfolios. And so this unique structure gives HF the ability to attract and retain top talent who can go out and just provide advisory services to the clients and not have to worry about that conflict of interest. It's a very unique structure and we like that. Um, what hurt them in this quarter is that HF reported a, a decline in transaction volume, um, which is the first time they've seen in, in, in a couple of years. But we think this is a temporary issue, not a long-term issue in that Typically, when you have a, a, a hit a patch where commercial real estate prices are starting to soften in certain markets, and that happens uh, uh, over time, um, the price gap between sellers and buyers causes a momentary pause in, 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 in real estate transactions. But over time, what we're seeing is that price has a less effect on HS business, and it's more about transaction volumes. And volumes, we believe, will be um, steady and increasing over time. Um, and as, long as, as, as soon as those, that price gap between sellers and buyers converge, as we have seen in the past cycles. So we're still long-term shareholders, and we're, we're, we're continuing to hold the position. The other stock in the portfolio that caused a low contribution to relative to the benchmark is Annika Therapeutics. Annika had a couple issues um, in the quarter. One was that... Um, they announced a voluntary recall of a product, um, but that was only 3% of the revenues, and it w has nothing to do with safety issues or the efficacy of that product, and more along the lines that they found that through their internal discovery that the shelf life of these products was not as long as expected. Um, no, Again, no safety issues or efficacy, so it was a voluntary recall, but it was only 3%, and that was not the biggest issue for them. What really happened later in, later for the stock that caused this sharp decline was they have a prospect, a, a, a drug that was in phase three uh, trial called Singal, um, which has already been previously approved and selling well in Europe and Canada. Um, unfortunately, this phase three trial current results, um, it's not completed yet, has shown that the, um, the combination of of the product between um, the, the, the injection for knee and hip joints along with steroids combination didn't really prove statistically different than just having a, a single steroid injection. But like I said, it's, it, we're trying to sort through the data in that um, it's baffling why uh, in Europe, in Canada, you've had the same product that's been approved and selling well and the re re reports from um, uh, from the patients has been that it's offering longer relief and, and, and very good relief, but yet this phase three trial data is showing something um, a little bit different. So we're trying to sort through that, but in the meantime, this company is still has a, a core product called Monovisc and, and Orthovisc um, that is 40% uh, market share in the U.S. that is uh, highly profitable. 
Um, in fact, at today's current market cap, um, 30% of that market cap for Annika today is cash. So there's no issue of this company becoming having a liquidity issue or, or a permanent loss of capital. For us, it's all about trying to figure out whether um, Singal can get approved, and if they can get approved, uh, what sort of labeling issues around that, and if they can get approved, um, can this company still have success in Europe and Canada um, without that? In the meantime, we're holding on to the stock. Um, the stock has actually done fairly well in bouncing back this month. Um, like I said, 30% um, of the market cap's in cash, so the company's not in danger of any of going out of business or anything like that, from a, from a, even from a fail three, uh, phase three trial. Um, so for the meantime, we're holding on to that and, 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 and sorting through uh, uh, more issues that we can figure out. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, one of the detractors during the quarter was HF. Would it be possible for you to walk through some of the attributes of what you like about this business and maybe also explain from a risk management standpoint your views on this holding currently? Sure. Um, Real estate investment trust is a large part of the Russell 2000 value benchmark. Um, we don't particularly like a large part of the REIT market given that, one, um, there was uh, valuation, uh, lack of valuation opportunities. Um, people have been using REITs in the last couple of years as a bond uh, substitute and driving up the valuation. In addition, um, we typically like businesses that are high capital returners, uh, earners and that are doing so off of a a low leverage balance sheet or much more clean balance sheet than we typically can find in, in real estate investment trusts. Not that we don't own any, but like I said, MGM, MGP was one of our top contributors. But HF we think of as sort of a um, commercial real estate um, proxy for real estate investment trusts. And what they do is they're an advisor to REITs, to pension funds, to sovereign funds, where they're helping these, uh, uh, these entities um, transact um, in the marketplace, um, both through price discovery and also through debt financing and, and other uh, um, market issuance. Um, what's unique about HF is that unlike their competitors, they do not have a conflict of interest, meaning that they don't manage properties, they don't hold a portfolio of properties, and therefore is truly an independent um, uh, uh, advisor to the clients and there's so, so there's no conflict of interest. And when you look at um, HF, their returns are about twice that of their main competitors. And so they can attract top talent to join the organization and really uh, have the ability to, um, to, uh, to advise clients. And, and like I said, that lack of conflict is very important and, and really endears the the top talent to, to, to the firm. Thank you very much. Um, another area is Keynes always really hung their hat on the idea of a focus on high quality differentiated businesses, but periodically, specific to the value portfolio, people ask, you know, from a Morningstar standpoint, why at times the portfolio screens as more growth oriented. Can you possibly take us through that and maybe describe some of the characteristics that affect that? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think often we get this, we get asked this, and why we are looking like more of a core or growth fund rather than a value fund. First, I would say that we manage value very differently than your typical deep value manager. We're looking for 
businesses that have high returns on capital that can sustain or resist the reversion to the mean to become a Me Too company um, through the competitive advantage and, and, and structural advantages that they have. Um, while your typical um, devalue manager is coming from the opposite end where they're looking for um, broken businesses or companies that are not doing well and generating far below average return on capital and, and figure out a way to unlock that value through restructuring and management change. And so if, if, if they can unlock that and, and get to a higher return on capital business, and they can do that, buy a right, sell a right, and do it over and over again. While we're buying businesses that um, if we can find these high returns on capital with the sustainability, they, we can own them for a long time with, with low turnover. And I think part of the re another part of the reason why we people kind of think of us as growthier um, than, than your value manager is that Russell, Morningstar, a lot of these um, entities, organizations, want to put stocks in two buckets, either in value or in growth. And one of the main um, things they've used in that decision point is price to book. I think price to book today is um, less meaningful across across all of the sectors, maybe still meaningful in the bank and the financial sector today in terms of valuation. But when you think about businesses today, it's much more of a service economy rather than an industrial economy. And so in a service economy, you have less fixed assets. And so therefore, um, the main assets that most companies have is their people. And so it's not reflected in the book. And so therefore, companies typically have higher book value today because of the service economy. The other thing too, I would say that if you think about price of book and its relationship to ROE, um, a company with a 10% ROE um, versus another company with a 20% ROE, just by that definition, the price to book for the 20% ROE company will be higher. And so therefore, we're investing in the high returns on capital businesses, the higher ROE businesses, and so therefore, they just have a natural tendency to have a high, higher price to book. Um, that doesn't speak to how, how um, cheap or, or expensive they are relative to the other companies, but Morningstar and, and, and Russell uses a very, very um, hard definition of, of price to book is, is determination of value and growth. And so we disagree with that, and, and that's why we've always been um, having to explain this over and over again. That's that's very helpful, Greg. And two other questions. One of them is, you know, this is more macro related, but it's definitely a theme that's been coming along recently. Um, it's related to tax reform. Can you talk about it, both the impact on the portfolio and in general, the impacts on small caps across the board? I think, Jordan, the, the easy answer is obviously tax reform has been a bigger beneficiary to small caps simply because they have had a higher tax rate to begin with. So on average, prior to the tax reform, if you look at most small caps, and when we looked at our portfolios in particular, on, on average, our companies are paying about a 31 to 32% tax rate, while most um, global businesses, large cap, mega caps, we're paying about a 25 to 26% um, uh, average rate. So when the tax reform happened and tax, corporate tax rate across the board uh, came down to the 21% level, small caps got a bigger benefit from that drop than most large caps and mega caps. And so therefore, um, you know, the earnings growth and the earnings power of small caps are gonna be greater um, due to the tax reform.
Thank you. And last question is, there's been a lot of talk around the industry related to the potential momentum shift moving from a growth bend to a value bend. My question is, what are your views on this and how does this impact your portfolio and, and thoughts in general? Yeah, we, I mean, growth, the, 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 the growth and value cycles have occurred um, often in the past. And, you know, you can trace it all the way back to 2000 and 2001, where um, growth fell out of favor and um, value uh, got back in favor. But if you look prior to that, in 1998-99, um, where growth was in favor um, and value was out of favor, you saw a lot of um, you saw a lot of value managers go out of business or close close their doors. Um, but three years later, um, if they had stayed in business, that would have been the time to to invest in them. So I think value and growth will always come and go. There will always be cycles between them. Um, over time, we think that. Um, there shouldn't be too much disparity between growth and value. So currently we're in a growth cycle and everyone wants to invest in growth and not value. But there's going to come a time where everyone's going to um, want to invest in value and, and not invest in growth. And so we think we, it's always proven to allocate money to where um, investors are not heading or investors are, 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 are not chasing the, the are, or investors are chasing the hot dot. Um, we think that it's better to always allocate to the the style or the sector that is underperforming the most, knowing that over the long periods of time, um, everything will come back to a, a more normal or equilibrium. As for the portfolio, um, you know, we don't let these kind of things dictate how we invest or what we invest in. We try to let valuation dictate where we should be in terms of overweight or underweight sectors. Um, and so therefore, certainly, if you look at the more value style sectors of financials um, being one of them. Um, we probably have a higher weight in financial sector than we've had in a long time, simply because that's where we're finding the most opportunistic valuation opportunities. And so while it doesn't affect how we think about businesses in terms of quality, um, valuation in certain, in certain periods and sectors can lead us to under to underweight or out, overweight certain sectors. Thank you very much for your time, and these are great answers to provide additional color on the portfolio characteristics as well as a little bit of the macro overview. So, thank you as always for your time, and we look forward to uh, future conversations, Craig. Thank you, Jordan. Kanecast is the official podcast series of Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management. Kane Anderson Rudnick provides this communication as a matter of general information. The opinions stated herein are those of the speakers and not necessarily the opinions of Kane Anderson Rudnick or its affiliates. Portfolio managers at Kane Anderson Rudnick make investment decisions in accordance with specific client guidelines and restrictions. As a result, client accounts may differ in strategy and composition from the information presented herein. Any facts and statistics quoted are from sources believed to be reliable, but they may be incomplete or condensed and we do not guarantee their accuracy. This communication is not an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any security, and it is not a research report. Individuals should consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions.